Hallelujah. Good morning. I don't know. I just thought, I don't know why uh, I always go up and down those steps. I'm better off just starting off down here. Hallelujah. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. The title of my sermon is The Church That Jesus Built. How many know that Jesus built a church? And we're going to look at that church that he built this morning. Hallelujah. How many would like to go to a church that Jesus built? Hallelujah. I hope we all want that this morning. Hallelujah. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now remember that phrase right there because it's exceptionally important to this text. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, so I just want you to picture him arriving here in Caesarea Philippi, certain location that we need to know what it is. And when he gets there, he's found himself in the location So let's ask some questions here. Who do people say the Son of Man is? How'd you like Jesus to ask you that question? Who are people around here saying that I am? They replied, Well, some people will say you're John the Baptist. Because there had been a rumor from Herod that he was the spirit of John the Baptist who had been killed. Some say Elijah, because Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus says, but what about you? Notice he didn't ask him. He's asking him specifically, what do you think I am? You're the Messiah. Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Hallelujah. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or Bar-Jonah, some uh, versions will say, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. How would you like Jesus to say that to you? You didn't figure that out yourself. The Father had to tell you that. And I tell you... And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. Now listen to this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples Not to tell anyone what? That he was the Messiah. There's a discovery here. They discovered he was the Messiah. They proclaimed himself to be the Messiah, but hey, don't tell anybody yet. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you preach your word today, Lord God. Father, preach it straight to the hearts, Lord God. Prophesy to every spirit, Lord God. Father, I pray that you let the church see what the church is supposed to be, Lord. Lord, that the church would move in power and glory. Father, that they would move across this land when you say go. And Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The the Lord was ministering in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And he was in Galilee, and if you read the verses before that, you see that Jesus was in a place called Bethsaida. And so Bethsaida is around the Sea of Galilee. If you look at Israel on a map, to the far south is Jerusalem. You have to go way up north to the top of the country. Um, In fact, the area that he's at here is probably 150 miles from Jerusalem. And so he is in Bethsaida, which is on the north part of Galilee, and Bethsaida is below sea level. It's a very low elevation there, 
And then the elevation begins to climb really high to a place called Mount Hermon. And so when you go on the top of Mount Hermon, that is today what is called the Golan Heights. And so the Golan Heights is the military stronghold that every empire uh, for the last three or 4,000 years, whoever controlled the Golan Heights controlled Israel. And so Jesus is right at the base of that, which is about 25 miles north of Galilee where he ministered. Jesus was born around Galilee, which is in north of Israel, and he was on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus is getting ready to make uh, his descent straight to Jerusalem to die for our sins. How many know that? And so right before he heads toward Jerusalem, he goes up to the Sea of Galilee and goes 25 miles uphill. Jesus was very intentional to go to this place called Caesarea Philippi. He made a point of going to that location. He didn't want to stay in Galilee. He didn't want to go to Jerusalem yet. He wanted to announce himself as the Messiah. He wanted to make a proclamation to the world, but he wanted to do it in a specific place. How many know he didn't choose Jerusalem to make this announcement? He didn't choose Galilee to make this announcement. He literally took his disciples uphill a very difficult uh, journey through some rocky areas and some difficult uh, travels for him to go to that place. And by the way, that is a place that Jewish people usually never went. And so the Jews, the disciples, those who were with him would have thought to themselves, why is he taking us to Caesarea Philippi? Because Caesarea Philippi um, there is a, there are cliffs there. And on those cliffs are etched the words, the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, depending on what version you look at. Really, it's the Greek Hades. And so that particular place is the epicenter of pagan worship in Israel. In fact, most of Israel you didn't find um, among the Jews places like that. Our equivalent to that would be a a sin city, which would be like Las Vegas. So this would be very similar to having like a pastor's conference in Las Vegas on the Strip. And I'm not even joking, very similar. Because they still worshipped the underworld there. In fact, that location was the worship of Pan, and uh, it was renamed Caesarea Philippi, but uh, originally it was just a pagan shrine to the underworld. And so they considered that location was steeped in mythology. That the mythology was that the, uh, the ancient gods, the pagan gods, and the pagans had all of their mythology. And how many know it went from Babylon to Egypt, all the way to Assyria, all the way to the Greeks. And when the Greeks got there, they followed the same mythology that these ancient pagan gods met on Mount Hermon, okay? And these gods became men or demigods, and they were able to traverse out of this location back and forth from the underworld. These spirits would inhabit the souls of kings, and these kings, uh, were the demons were literally living through these kings, and you should be afraid of them. And so it's called the gates of hell. And when you look at this particular location, there was a cave of Pan there. And it was at the rear of this temple, of this pagan temple. And at the rear of this temple was a place where all of the headwaters that came from Mount Hermon and two different rivers fed Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. How many know all the water for agriculture came from that one area? And it was the area that if you controlled it, you controlled the nation. And so at this location, uh, there were the most vulgar pagan worship in, in, in Israel. Nowhere else in Israel did you find this level of pagan worship. And just, uh, I don't see any kids in here, so I can say this. There was pagan worship, bestiality, sexual um, uh, rites that were done at that location that were done nowhere else in Israel. And so Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem... And he's about to 
began to explain to his disciples that I'm going to suffer in Jerusalem. I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. And this is the place where Peter says, no, that can't happen. No, we're not going to let that happen. And Peter says, get behind me, Satan. This is the location. And this is also the location that Jesus is looking for real estate. How many think like the real estate uh, people say, location, location, location. Those are the three most important things, right? So if you're going to build a church, where would you look? Where would you look to build a church? Because I'm telling you about the church that Jesus built. I'm talking about the church where Jesus said, when I build my church, here's where I want to build it. Here's where I want to announce I'm the Messiah. Here's where I want to announce I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's where I want to tell my disciples. I want to take time to go 25 miles uphill to this location where all the pagan idolatry is, where all of hell is, where you're supposed to fear pan. How many know the word pan is where we get our root word panic and pandemic? Because pan was supposed to bring fear upon people. He was supposed to make people afraid. He was supposed to make people fear. And, and, and they were supposed to come out of that bottomless pit. How many know there was a place of water there in that cave that they had... Uh, in fact, Josephus said... Uh, listen to Josephus' description of this location called Panius, which is at the very base of this mountain on Mount Hermon. It says, A top of a mountain that is raised to immense height, At its side, beneath, and at its bottom, there is a dark cave that opens itself, within which there is a horrible precipice that descends abruptly to an immeasurable depth. It contains a huge amount of water, which never goes anywhere, and when anybody lets anything down to measure how deep it is, there is no length of cord that is sufficient to reach it. They considered it a bottomless pit, in fact, it had been the place of human sacrifice, animal sacrifice. They did all kinds of pagan rites there, sexual bestiality. It was the worst of the worst, the darkest place in Israel. And Jesus said, okay, follow me. We're going to a special place today. So now you get a little bit of an understanding of why it's important when he says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, And then he stands in the region of Caesarea Philippi in this pagan idolatry and pagan worship, a place where no Jew in that day would go, right? And he says, okay, who do they say I am? Standing in the place called the gates of hell. Standing where the underworld is worshipped, where all these myths of the pagans, where there were so-called demigods, which, you know, was all a lie from the very beginning. All of these uh, so-called demons that were meeting and inhabiting the earth, they were demon-possessed men who were mighty on the earth. And Jesus comes to the place, which was the roots of all paganism. Hallelujah. That's where all paganism had its roots, right? Mount Hermon. It was considered the mountain of the pagan gods, right? It was always in juxtaposition in the Bible. There are Psalms that talk about Mount Hermon versus Mount Zion Zion in, in Jerusalem. And so there was always a battle between the two, pagan or God. Which one do you want, God or the enemy? And so here he stands there and he says, who do they say I am? They say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're... No, no, I'm asking, who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. (laughs) You're son of the living God. In the place where these people were so-called sons of gods. Places where they believed this pan escorted people in and out of the underworld. How many know that's a lie? Nobody left Hades. In fact, at this time... The better rendering of this, King James kind of gets it wrong. It should say the gates of Hades. That's a much better translation because at that time, there were two gates in Hades. And at that time, how many know that everybody 
was in Hades. Everybody. Nobody was in heaven at this point. There were two gates that nobody could open. The Bible says nobody could go to and from. Nobody can go from one side or the other. There were two gates. The gates of those who who believed in the Messiah. And then there was a gate of those who were damned, who had no hope. One side had hope because they had a Messiah who could potentially rescue them. The other side had no hope because they believed in no Redeemer. They believed in no Messiah. But there were two gates that were fastened and nobody could open it. Nobody could go to, nobody could go from, nobody had the keys to get in there and even help them. In fact, people like David, people like Job said, I trust in my Redeemer. He's going to come one day and he's not going to suffer me to stay in this place. And how many know everybody at that time was damned to that place? But some of those people had hope in a Messiah. And Jesus goes to that place and announces that I am going to die. And I am actually going to come back. Which is what the ancient gods said they could do but never could. And Jesus said, I'm the one who not only can, but I will. And so he stands there and he says, who do they say I am? He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, not these dead gods that are here. You're the living God. And he says, blessed are you. Simon, you have not been, this has not been revealed by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. How many know this is the first reference to the church? And he says, I am going to build a church on this rock. And he says, you're Peter, a little rock, and I'm going to build what you just said. I'm going to build that little rock on the big rock, Petra, which is me. The Bible says he is the foundation. And Peter, he says, we are all uh, stones, living stones on the foundation that was laid, who is Jesus Christ. And so everybody wonders, what is he talking about? What rock is he building this on? And they say, is it the location where he's talking about? Is it the faith that Peter showed? Or is it just Jesus Christ himself? And you almost have to come to the understanding. In fact, uh, a lot of commentators will say it's probably all three. Meaning I am going to select my location. And uh, I'm going to walk right in the middle of the enemy. I choose this location. Boy, can you see that power in that? <laughs> this is the epicenter of pagan idolatry. And he says, I choose this one right here. And I'm going to build my church. And it says the gates of Hades, the gates of hell uh, will not be able to stop me. He says, in fact, the exact way he says it here is, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so the commentators look at that and they try to figure out what does that mean because gates are defensive. How will the gates of Hades not overcome me or what I'm doing? And so they say, well, what is a gate? A gate is a boundary. If you have animals and you have a gate, you say, well, that gate is only for the predators. You know, that gate's not only for the predators. That fence that's around that livestock is a boundary for them as well. They can't get out. Predators can't get in. It's a boundary. And Jesus is saying the gates of Hades is not going to be a boundary for me. Like the gates of Hades, in fact, if you want a really good rendering of it, um, I'm going to build my church and the gates of the enemy can't do anything about it. Like, I'm going to do this, and you can't do anything about it. And so I began to look at the church, and man, goosebumps just started. I mean, as I was studying, I was getting excited, and I was saying, man, what is the church called to be? And you know, we look at the church, and we say the church is beaten, the church is battered, the church is uh, suffering, the church is 
losing. The church is, you know, doing this and the church is doing that. And I'm saying, what is the church? And he said, my church, I am going to build. And there's no enemy that can do anything about it. There's nothing they can do to stop me. And when you look at this particular location, you begin to look at the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy chapter 2, um, it talks about this exact location. And it says that the, the Emites lived there, the people strong and numerous, taller than the Anakites. Like the Anakites, they were two considered Rephaites. But the Moabites and them, the Emites, the Horites, and live in Sire. But the descendants of Esau threw them out. They destroyed the Horites before they settled in their place, just as Israel did in this land that God gave them for possession. God begins to talk about this area, and this area is the area where the giants lived. This is the area. That's why this place was so sacred to pagans, because the giants, the Anakites, the Rephaites, all of these giants, who all of the men of renown of old, all of the pagan idolatry was steeped around, that's where they lived. That's where the mighty lived. That's where the unbeatable lived. That's where the one that couldn't be stopped lived. That's where the pagans uh, put all their strength and power against God in that location because whoever owned that location owned Israel. And so Moses is leading the children of Israel. And how many know the children of Israel are an example of what the church is supposed to be? And Moses finally... Uh, he, he comes out of ex, he comes out of Egypt and he's ready to take the land. Joshua's ready to take the land. Caleb is ta- ready to take the land. And God is saying, that's the spirit I want in the church. I want a spirit in the church that knows who they are. They know what they are. They know they're unstoppable. And you know, you could have taken Joshua. You could have taken Caleb and God could have just taken those two and taken that whole land. How many God know that God told them that we can take the land? He said, I've already given it to you. I've already beaten the enemies. All you have to do is walk in and have victory. He didn't get rid of them. He just said, you have to stand up to them. I've already gotten the victory over them. And so in the church, we think that we are uh, down here. We think that we're weak. We think that we're getting beaten. We're thinking we're getting stopped. We watch the news and we say, oh my goodness, look at all these pagan festivals. Look at this pride festival. Church, that is a pagan festival. You know, we look at all the transgenderism in church. Can I tell you, that's all pagan idolatry. It's exactly what they did in the days of Moses, in the days of Joshua. And Jesus would just look at that and he would say, you know what? I'll build my church right here in the middle of it. And greater is he that's in the church than he that's in the world. But we say, oh no, we're losing. And what God's trying to do today, he's trying to wake the church up and understand that there's going to come a moment, he says, go. And we got to be ready to go. And God is looking for pastors. God is looking for churches who are ready to go and understand what they have from this passage. As you look at this passage, um, it says that Moses began to take them to the... Um, if you look at Israel and you look at the east coast, and that's where Jordan is right now. You go up that Jordan coast uh, right there and you run into a place. He said, you know, go bypass Esau's family. You know, these Abrahamic families just bypass them and go up to this area here. And he's just heading up the east coast toward the northern part of Israel. And he runs into a king called Sihon. And Sihon was a giant, massive, fierce. Um, in fact, there were poems that were written about Sihon and his greatness because he overcame the Moabite giants. Uh, Sihon was a great warrior. And nobody messed with Sihon, and he was legendary in his day. Everybody talked about Sihon. But Moses led the children of Israel, which is the church. It's an example of what the church is supposed to be. Invincible, unbeatable, you can't stop the church. In fact, I'm going to show you what the church looks like in these people's eyes. Okay? Because we need to know this. Moses comes up to Sihon, and he said, hey... uh, let us pass through your land. We're going to the north and we won't bother anything. 
We won't touch anything. We won't drink from your wells. We won't eat your fruits. You know, we're just going to pass through peacefully. Sion meets them with his full army. I want you to understand how fierce that looks. Okay, imagine the Israelites kind of small and this massive king that was legendary meets them with a full army who was much stronger than the Israelites. But God said, hey, I've already won that. And they routed King Sion under the leadership of Moses and God gave them victory. You say, well, that's probably not that big of a deal. The Bible probably over-exaggerated. It was something like 61 cities. And these cities were fortified cities with massive walls. And these were giants that were leading this group. And God constantly said all through the Old Testament, remember what I did to Sion. Then they move a little farther and then there's another legendary. In fact, uh, there was a Babylonian ziggurat that was um, uh, excavated and they found a bed that was actually the same size um, as the one the Bible describes as Og's bed. And how many know these are the legendary deities of the pagans, these men? And so Og was a man who had a bed that was like 13 foot. And so we don't know how big he was, we just know he slept in a 13 foot bed. Which normally it fits you from head to foot. But Og was a giant. Moses leads them to the north, and guess where Og was? He was in a place called Bashan. Bashan is... um, this, um, oh, <clears throat> what's the term I used earlier? <laughs> Funny, I can't remember the name we call it today. The, um, you guys would have been paying attention. You'd be able to, oh, there we go, Golan Heights. Oh, I forget Golan Heights. But Bashan is the area called Golan Heights, Okay. And so Og is the one that controls this territory. He controls all of the Golan Heights, controls all that territory. And Moses comes to the northern area, and guess where God takes him first? Sihon along the east, and then Golan Heights along the north, which if you control those territories, you nearly, because it's elevated, it's above Israel. In fact, the uh, Sea of Galilee is down in the valley below it. And so if you control that, you can control the whole area. So he gives into Moses' hands Sion and Og even before they enter the promised land. And so they own these two territories. You say, well, what does that have to do with the church? Well, let me tell you what it has to do with the church, okay? When Joshua and Moses uh, dies, he hadn't entered the promised land yet. And God promised them all this territory with all these other giants. And as Joshua is about to enter the promised land, they go to the first um, location there with Jericho. And I remember Jericho was a massive fortified city, and there was a woman in there. Her name was Rahab. And you know what Rahab said? Everyone in the promised land fears you. They know what God did for you against the Egyptians, Everybody knew about the Red Sea. Og and uh, Sihon already knew what God had done in Egypt, okay? And we also know what God did to Sihon, and we also know what God did to Og. And so now the entire land fears you, and they know that God has given you the land. And you say, you still say, I don't know what that means for the church. I don't know what that means for the church. I'm going to give you a chance to let the Spirit speak to you this morning. Demons fear us. Can I tell you, every workplace I've ever walked into, demons get restless. They get nervous. They get scared. They get fearful. They're ready to fight you. Okay? Because they know they are threatened. Okay? They know that they're threatened. You say, well, man, what are we going to do? All these big protests, all these big parades, all of these big things. How many know that the enemy is afraid that the church will wake up because the demons fear us? They know that God has given us the land. They know that we have the authority. They know we have the power. Well, how do you know that, Chad? You should have read ahead. You should have read ahead. 
Hallelujah. All Peter said was, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We'll say here, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, blessed are you. I mean, no, that's a profession of faith on who Jesus is. I mean, I've here made a profession of faith on who Jesus is. And the Lord says to you, blessed are you. Well, why am I blessed? Does he follow it up? Well, flesh and blood didn't tell you that, but my Father in heaven. What the Father in heaven has told us, that he's the Messiah and we're following the Messiah. I will build my church on this and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Why? Because I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now see, here's where people stop. Oh wow, he's given the church keys to get me in heaven. No, there's a difference between keys to get you in heaven and the keys that are from the kingdom of heaven. Keys are plural. Okay? When I'm given authority to be the pastor of this church, I have a key to everything. Alright? Whatever, if I give an authority to contract a building to do work, I get keys other people don't get. It's authority. He says he's given me the kingdom of heaven keys. You say, well, it's just for heaven. Well, why does he say whatever I bind on earth is bound on earth? Whatever I bind in heaven is bound in heaven. And what if Jesus announced that at the gate of hell? And he said, you know what? The gates of hell can't stop me. And so Jesus was going straight to Jerusalem. He had the keys. He went directly to Hades, unlocked the gate where those who were waiting for a Redeemer released all of them and gave them to me. Gave them to you. And the church is sitting around saying, I have no power, I have no authority, I have no ability. These demons are so big. They're so big and they're so hard and and I just can't do this. Church, you've been given authority. Wake up and figure out who you are. Wake up and figure out who you are. Hallelujah. The church is going to rise up one day. They're going to figure out who they are. And they're going to walk in authority that we've been given from God. And you say, well, what's on this set of keys? What's on this set of keys? He gave us power over demons. That means if there's a demon-possessed person and they tell the person with authority, I want out. I've got the key to unlock the door. i got a key to every single cage. Every single cage the enemy has, I've got the key. Hallelujah, I've got the authority. You say, well, that's an alcoholic. Does he want to be free? Does he want to be free? Ask him the question. Who do you say that he is? If you're an alcoholic and his name is Jesus and he's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, if he's went to the underworld and he's shown his authority over demons, he's shown his authority over hell, he's shown his authority over death, he's shown his authority over sickness, he's shown his authority over nature, and he says, I give it to you. And what do we do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The church is asleep. The enemy is afraid. The enemy fears that we're going to find out who we are. The enemy doesn't want us to figure out we have authority. We have power. We have the ability to tread on serpents. We have the ability to cast out demons. We have ability to command everything that's in this world. We have authority. But the church don't know they have keys. They think, I've got one little key. This one goes to the east gate of heaven. And thank the Lord, I can get into heaven one day. I got one key. That's all I got. Because I am a believer. And I said, I trust you, Lord. That's my key. But what about all the other ones? What do they go to? What does the other ones go to? And can I tell you, some people don't have this authority. Because the authority goes through the church. And I know this is going to get me in trouble. But the Lord told me to go there this morning. 
The church is very specific. God raised up pastors. God raised up elders. God raised up a group called the Assembled Ones, and He said, don't forsake their gathering together. And you know what? God wanted them to enter together, and they refused to enter together, and then a group of people said, hey, now we're ready. They went in and tried to fight the giants, and they were beaten. And the Lord told me to give this message this morning. When I was praying this morning, the Lord said, there are people that are destroying the church. And can I tell you something? If you're a group of people that have been offended by the church, slandered by the church, and you've said to your, you've slandered the church, and you've said, I'm going to start my own little home group, and we're just the same as the church. God says, you don't have that authority. Am I saying it's wrong to gather for a home Bible study? That's fine, but you better find yourself a church because the keys were given to the church. You say, well, I can't get along with the church. Then you're not part of the church. You better learn to get along with the church. You better find somebody who's got the authority of God on their life. Can I tell you something? God is getting rid of pastors who aren't real pastors. But there are pastors that demons fear. There are pastors that are ready to fight. There are pastors that are ready to go up against the enemy, aren't afraid of the enemy, don't back down to the enemy. They're not bought out. They're sold out. And I'm telling you right now, Caleb and Joshua sat a lot of years, but their blood boiled to fight the enemy. Their blood just boiled, and there are pastors, there are people in the churches, and I'm saying, God, send those people, and and, and those people who aren't ready to fight, go home. Go home, because we are the church, I'm proud to be the church, I love the church, I'll do anything for the church. I'll sacrifice for the church and we need to find people who are ready to be the church, are ready to march with the church, are ready to be forgiving and loving and do all the things God's called the church to be. And if you're not the church, close down your home Bible group because you're not what God gave the authority to. He gave it to the church. Hallelujah. And you say, well, that's the church too. Well, let's see if they match up to what the Bible says the church is supposed to be. And I know I'm going to get me in trouble. But I'm telling you, the church is being fought. The church is being slandered. The church is being beaten. They're trying to stop it because the enemy knows what the church can do when it's unified. And God is, God is, God said, He who destroys the body of Christ, I will destroy him. I don't want to be the one that destroys the body of Christ. I don't want to be the one slandering the body of Christ. I don't want to be the one slandering pastors and churches. You know, there are some people that went into churches, they were the problem. They were the slanderers. They were the ones speaking against the church. They were the ones destroying the church. And then they went and started a group and said, the church has hurt me so bad. And I say, beware, because he who destroys the body of Christ, I will destroy him, the Bible says. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to, we're going to, actually, if my worship team can come up. This message this morning, I just, as we take communion together, hallelujah, as we take communion together this morning, I want us to think about what we're called to be as a church. Can I tell you, as a church, we have to fight so hard to keep the unity. We have to fight so hard to be the church. Because when the church is the church, we're made to march against the enemy. We're made to destroy the works of the enemy. In fact, there's no enemy that can stand up to the church. And you know who knows that? The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that once the church is unified and together and marching together, and I think the Lord is doing a work in these last days, and He's putting the people together that have that spirit of Joshua. A spirit that is willing to fight together, go together, move together. And and, and how many know it only takes a few to destroy the enemy? Hallelujah. But right now the church doesn't know who she is. The church doesn't realize the power that we have, the authority that we have, the keys that we've been given. And as we take communion this morning, I really want us to focus in. All right, there we go. 
I want us to really focus this morning on what this means. We were singing that song earlier, and boy, it resonated with me. Who is like our God? Who's ever made a move like, I mean, just take that one move Jesus made. Going to Caesarea Philippi, in the middle of the darkest place in Israel. In fact, that's the place where Jeroboam set up his shrine and and led Israel astray. Who is like our God? Who is like Jesus to go to that place and say, okay, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? I will build my church and the gates of hell can't do anything about it. Now, you know, if I sat in a... If I sat in some circles and I said, man, if you drink this blood, this symbolizes the blood of the ancient kings and the ancient giants. And the ancient Nephilim that walked the earth. How many of you know a lot of people today would say, wow, that's impressive. But how many know Jesus, who stood on Caesarea Philippi, was the God that led Israel in overthrowing every single king. The last of the giants, he led them and killed those giants. And I'm telling you today, that's the blood that runs through me. That's the blood that runs through every believer. That's the body, that's the blood, that's the power, that's the authority, that's the keys that we have. And church, I want to challenge you today. Think about it. As we take the body and the blood, I want you to think about what runs through our veins. I want you to think about what we have faith in. I want you to think about the keys. I want you to think about the authority. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your commitment. I want you to say to yourself, what would I give for the church? He said, love your wives like I love the church and I gave my life for you love the church that much? What would I sacrifice? What would I do to take up my cross? What would I do to advance the gospel? What would I fight through to win? What would I stand up to in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. We're not, we're a different breed, church. The faith that is in us is something powerful. And one day the church is going to wake up. The giant is going to arise And we're going to realize we're the most powerful force the earth has ever known. The ones that have Jesus Christ flowing through them. Hallelujah. We walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Does everybody have, has everybody been served this morning? Hallelujah. Anybody not been served this morning? mighty God we serve, right? We're going to take communion together and I want you to really think about the mighty God you serve. How powerful He is, what authority He's given us. And then we're just going to worship Him. We're just going to praise Him. We're going to pray for that power to flow through us. And when we walk to work, I hope you understand that demons fear believers. The smallest believer in the Lord, demons actually fear us. Remember Rahab's words. They know that God has given you this already. And they fear you. They already know about you. And those people were scared. Children of Israel were scared and God had already given them the land. We walk into work scared, but we don't know God's already given us the land. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, let's remember and not forget him. He said, I give you the keys. I want you to receive the keys today. Don't just drink and eat the communion, but receive the keys today. Read your Bible and say, what what is the authority that's been given to me? And is the enemy still defeating me in these areas? Hallelujah. Let's take the bread this morning. Let's remember what God is and what He's done for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Father. We thank you for this gift of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did. You had authority over everything. You went to the deepest part of hell and had authority. You had authority over every demon, every power. You gave us every authority and you sit on the right hand of the Father. Lord, you said we're seated with you in heavenly places. And Lord Jesus, today as we eat of your body, Lord, we receive these keys to the kingdom, Lord God, through our profession of faith in you, Lord. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. Thank him this morning as you take the bread, church. The Bible says in the same way after supper he took the cup, saying the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your blood, the power that is in this blood, the authority in this blood, the new covenant, Lord God which makes us your people who are unstoppable, unbeatable, invincible. That is us, Lord God. When we wake up in the morning, let us know who we are, Lord God. Let us know who we are in you, Lord. Hallelujah. We're unbeatable. The enemy fears us. The enemy cannot stop the church, Lord. Let us be the church, Lord. Bless your people. Stand to your feet this morning. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many, uh, as we close this morning... You're the kind of person that uh, doesn't like to be woken up when you're sleeping. There's only one willing to admit it this morning. Everybody else loves to be awakened. You didn't look behind you. How many know that it's if you're that kind of person, which most of us have been at one time or another, we're tired, we don't want to get up. Hey, church starts at 10 now. It's not pleasant to hear that voice. It could be the voice of the person you love the most, but it's not pleasant when we're trying to be awakened. And uh, one of the things I put in my notes here is, consider the statement, the gates of hell cannot stand against it. People in the church have a sanctuary refuge concept about church. The church is seen as the place of refuge where we escape the evil powers of the world and beyond. It is comforting to know that we are safe there from evil. But 
How many know that phrase, the gates of hell cannot stop us, makes it more than just a sanctuary away from evil. It actually makes it a place of safety, but a base of operations also. And so if I'm going to be a pastor who tells the truth, I am going to be that voice that's saying, wake up. And it's going to be offensive and it's going to be, hey, how dare you call out people that aren't going to a church? Because our churches are being affected. Our churches are not bases of operations. We're oftentimes hiding from the enemy as opposed to confronting the enemy. And, and, and God is calling out prophetic voices to say, wake up, wake up. Sometimes it doesn't feel good, church, to have cold water hit your face. But it's okay to have somebody tell you, wake up. And I'm okay to be that person. And you say, well, a lot of people aren't going to come, but the people that will come will be fighters. And all we need are a few. And so church, let's just take this word. Don't be, don't say, well, I don't like when you wake me up. I got a good reason to wake you up. All right, it may sound shrill, but I got good reasons because God wants us to move. There are people that are locked up. They're in prison. They don't have freedom. They don't have what we have. We can't stick in the sanctuary. We got to go against the gates of hell because we win. We prevail. We always win. The only time we lose is when we don't go. And the enemy is afraid you'll hear this this morning. The enemy wants you to be mad at me and not hear it this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, right now, raise up your church. Empower authority, Lord. To walk in the footsteps of the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who stood at the gates of hell and said, I will build my church. And it will not prevail, it will not overcome, it will not be able to stop me. And Lord, I pray that you put that in your church. Lord, let us move, Lord, in your name, in this hour. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Everybody said.